<laughs> All right. No way. As you're making your way to Hebrews 11, I just want to set the stage for you. One of the things that we're doing as we go through Hebrews 11 is we're, we're basically recounting all the stories of faith from the Old Testament. All the heroes of faith, the author of Hebrews, is taking us through the story of all of these people. And what we're starting to see, and I hope it's starting to come into perspective right now, is we're seeing a story about Jesus. The whole thing. The whole Bible is about Jesus. He's He's right at the beginning, and he goes all the way up until the end. And if you have eyes to see, you can see Jesus in all of this. It starts all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are given a mandate by God, and they sin. And what happens is the very first prophecy of Messiah is released. This is a very important verse. I'm going to put it up on the board. It's Genesis 3. You don't have to turn there. But this is a really important verse, and we're going to be talking about this over and over again. This is called the Evangelion, I believe, right? It's the prototype gospel. This is the first time the gospel is ever spoken in Scripture, and it's spoken to the serpent. It's prophesied to the serpent. God says, and I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, that's kind of a weird way to put this, right? We're kind of like, what the heck does that mean? Well, there, we're going to see throughout the story of Scripture what that means. And you're going to see it over and over again. So a couple notes. One thing that's interesting you'll notice is God said that he's going to put enmity between the offspring of the woman or the seed of the woman. Who is that, by the way? Yeah, the woman is Eve, but the seed is all of us. Right? We are the seed of the woman. Right? We're the offspring, the descendants of the woman. There's going to be enmity between us and the offspring or the seed of the serpent. Fascinating. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how fallen angels came and slept with human women. That's one of those weird stories in the Bible. What, what happened there? If you guys remember all the way back a couple weeks ago, we talked about how these offspring eventually became demons. You guys remember this? Some I got some blank looks. I guess during that message, y'all were like, <laughs> give me that look. But lo and behold, what is, what is the battle that we find ourselves in today? Paul says it this way, our battle is not against flesh and blood, right, but against the powers and the principalities, spiritual forces of wickedness in this dark world. What's the idea? The idea is that our battle is against the offspring of the serpent. It's still going on today, the very same thing, right? And what is the promise? The promise is that the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and that he will bite the heel of the offspring. And who is that? That's very clearly a reference to Jesus right there, right? Clearly a reference to Jesus. This is going to come up a number of times. Paul is going to talk about how the God of peace is going to crush Satan underneath your feet, right? This idea that Jesus is going to crush all the deeds of darkness that were done. But in the meantime, the serpent has bitten the heel of the offspring. I know it's kind of weird. Prophecy can be kind of like that. You have to use your imaginations to understand how prophetic, you know, prophecies, how they work. But this is the, the first prophecy that we see of Jesus. And guess what? You're going to see it in every single hero of faith. You're going to see pictures, snapshots of this coming seed, this person, and 
We saw that with Abel. What happens with Abel? If you guys remember, this was like five, six weeks ago. We talked about Abel and how he was killed by his brother Cain. Why? Because he offered a more righteous sacrifice to God and was killed out of jealousy by his kinsmen. Does that sound like somebody you know? I should hope so. You're at church. Right? We talk about how Jesus offered a righteous sacrifice to God, and out of jealousy, he was killed by his kinsmen. Are we making sense? We talk about Enoch and how Enoch walked with God, and he so pleased God that God took him. Does that sound like somebody you know? Right? Sounds a little like someone I know. Right? At the end, Jesus ascends to heaven, right? He's taken by the Lord. And we talked about Noah. What did Noah do? Noah built an ark to save a remnant on the earth from coming judgment. Does that sound like somebody you know? I hope so. I hope so, because that's our hope, right? Right, we're going to be saved from the coming judgment. Oh, and then we, last week we talked about a dude named Abraham, right? And what's the story of Abraham? That Abraham got a vision from God about a city that he was building. And remember, Abraham was asked to sacrifice his one and only son that he loved. Why? As an offering for sin. That sound like somebody you know? I hope so. Okay, you getting the picture? Over and over and over again, you're going to see snapshots of the story of Jesus told through the history of the people of Israel. Okay? Now, I got this cool little infographic because sometimes I know you can get confused. There's like Abraham and Moses and Enoch and who the heck are all these people? Well, hopefully this little diagram, can you, can you see that a little bit? All right, well. At the top is Adam. And then you have Cain, Abel, and Seth, right? Seth was the, the third son. And then in the line of Seth, you have Enoch. And then you have Noah, right? And then one of the sons of Noah was Shem. And out of the line of Shem, you have Abraham. Am I making sense? We're, we're following a, a story here, okay? I want us to try and keep track of all these people. I know it can get kind of confusing. But if you're going to actually understand the Bible, you have to understand these people. They're all important people. We are not talking about anybody that's not important. I did not preach a message on Peleg. Okay? Everyone that we're talking about is very important to the biblical story. Okay? So use those beautiful Asian brains you have. Take some notes and whatnot. Right? And let's keep all of this in our minds. Amen? Amen. Okay. Have you found Hebrews 11? I hope so at this point. We're in verse 20. And it says this, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. Stop. Now, I was going to try and do three verses, but I realized I had so much on this one verse that we'd stay here for like five hours if I tried to do three verses. So we're just going to do this one verse. Why? Because Jacob is an extremely important character in Scripture. Now, Isaac's important too, but we get a little bit more information about Jacob, okay? But to understand why Jacob is so important, we have to go back to his grandfather, who we talked about last week. Who's that guy? Abraham, right? Abraham. And we talked about last week about how Abraham offered his son Isaac as a, as a sacrifice, but we didn't talk about what happened right after that, okay? Right after Abraham, he's about to kill Isaac, Right? God says, no, don't do it, Abraham. Right? Now that I know that you have not withheld your son from me, he starts giving him these promises. 
Okay? And this is in Genesis 22. You don't have to turn there, but it should be on the board here. It's going to say this. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Okay, stay with me here. This is important. Three-part promise. This is an important formula. These three promises, it's all part of the same seed blessing promise that was originally spoken back in Genesis 3. What I want to propose to you today is that there is this seed blessing. We'll call it the seed blessing. Okay? It's given to Eve, and it passes through the generations. Right? This is the blessing that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. And that has far-reaching consequences. Why? Because the seed of the woman will prevail over the seed of the serpent. Does that make sense? This is a very important thing that we understand. This seed blessing is like its own character. You guys ever watched Lord of the Rings? You know how he makes like the ring its own character? You ever notice that? Like the ring's trying to get away from Frodo, right? Oh, and the ring's calling out to the scary dude on the horse. You guys remember any of this? No, this is before your time. Am I like crazy old? Okay, thank you. It's kind of like that with the seed blessing. The seed blessing is not, you know, we just think, oh, that was a nice little blessing he got. No! No, 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 no. That was the all-important, history-making, you know, universe-shaping blessing he got. Am I making sense? The seed blessing is the great blessing. We're going to talk on and on about this, but if you don't understand the seed blessing, the biblical story makes zero sense. It's all ties to each other through this idea of the seed blessing passing down through the generations. And God gave that seed blessing to Abraham, right? He said, what's he going to do? He's going to multiply your seed, okay? And our, we think that is offspring or descendants. It's a very malleable word, okay? It's a very malleable word. What do I mean by that? Well, it can mean a, n- a number of different things. It can mean your offspring, your descendants, but it, al- it can also mean your singular offspring, right? You know, in, in English, the word seed can be multiple or singular, right? It's kind of like that. And in Galatians, which we're going to get to, Paul's going to play with the singular plural. So the idea is this. Jesus is the seed. He's the one. He's the fulfillment. And yet, in a way, he's the head of a corporate group that encompasses all the seed that inherit this promise. Am I making sense? Okay, I hope you understand that. I know it's kind of weird, but you're going to have to get that that. This, this concept to understand what the heck is going on all throughout Scripture. Because when we look at the story of Jacob, you're going to ask yourself some questions about this guy. This guy seems kind of jacked up. You probably wouldn't want to be friends with this guy because he would steal all your stuff. I sometimes tell about my friend, right, who used to eat all my food. Right, that's like Jacob. Right, Jacob would be like, Hey, man, what's going, what, what's that over there? Right? You look and boom, he just takes your whole thing. In fact, his name means deceiver. Can you imagine if your mom named you deceiver? 
Yeah, a couple people in here actually can understand. Yeah, right. That's what it actually means. You know, they used to do things like that in ancient Israel, right? You guys ever heard the guy named Ichabod? The glory has departed. That's a pretty terrible name, right? But their names used to be prophetic. So sometimes you see these prophetic names, right, told in, in Scripture. And Jacob was one of those names, right? It was prophetic. It was a prophecy. What you're going to see is that that prophetic super metachlorian count DNA runs really strong in the family of Abraham. That's right. Star Wars, they jacked this stuff from the Bible. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Abraham was a prophet. And what we're going to see is that Isaac is also a prophet. And guess what? Jacob just happens to be a strong prophet. And his kids happen to prophesy like Joseph, right? It just kind of happens to pass through their bloodstream. But what we're going to see is that this Jacob guy is an interesting character. And if you don't know the story about Jacob, I'm just going to sum it up real quick, and then we're going to look in depth into Genesis to look at one, one of these stories, okay? But the overarching narrative of Jacobness is a four-part story, okay? If you've never read the book of Genesis, shame on you. It's the first book. I hope you read it by now. Okay, if you haven't read it, praise God, you can repent and start today, Amen. But the story of Jacob is a four-part story, okay? Part number one, he deceives his brother and steals his birthright, okay? We're going to look at that in a second. Part two, he deceives his father, okay, and steals his brother's blessing. Part three, he works 14 years for a guy named Laban so he can marry his daughter, and he gets tricked, and he ends up marrying his other daughter, and he has to work another seven years, and he marries the daughter that he wanted, right? And then part number four, he has an encounter with God, and he wrestles this God-man for a blessing, okay? Now, these are really interesting stories, and this isn't even counting the whole latter part of his life, but this is the story of young Jacob's life is a four-part story, okay? We're going to see how the, the purposes of God go through all of those four parts and why they're so important to us today. Okay, so now I do want you to open up your Bibles. Genesis chapter 22. Oh, no, no, 25, excuse me. And while you're turning there, I need to explain this concept. Abraham received the great seed blessing, and he knew it was a big blessing. So what's unsaid in Scripture is that Abraham is telling his son Isaac, Isaac, you are a big deal. There is a destiny on our family because God made me a promise. Right? He made me a promise, Isaac, and this is a big deal, and you are an inheritor. right? You're an heir to this great promise. And so Isaac has this faith in his life that he's part of something really incredible. The God of the universe has chosen him to be the carrier of this great blessing, right? And he is going to pass it down one day to his sons. And what you're going to see is his sons also have this understanding that this blessing is a big deal. And guess what? His sons will also have an understanding that this is a big deal. Are we making sense? Okay. So what we see in Genesis 25, go all the way down to verse 29, okay? And it says this. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. 
Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, and Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. This is important. Okay, I remember I read this story when I was in high school, and I was like, well, what's the big deal? He wanted some stew, right? He got it. He gave him a promise, you can have my first birthright. I didn't have this. I didn't understand what it was that Esau traded away. Why? Because my dad never sat me down and be like, son, you are the firstborn in this family of destiny, right? And I went, oh, no, that didn't happen. That never happened to me. I never had a sense that I had this prestigious place in history and that one day the grand seed blessing of my father would pass to me. Does this make sense? I didn't have that. But in their culture, the idea was this, that the firstborn son receives the inheritance, the mission, the calling of his father. Does that make sense? And we skipped over this part. But Jacob and Esau, these are the two brothers, right, the sons of Isaac. There's a dynamic in their relationship. Esau is dad's favorite. Dad loves Esau because, by all accounts, Esau was a man's man, okay? This guy was a great hunter. It said that his arms, like, like goat hair, I guess that was a good thing back then, right? Like, yeah, goat hair, right? Like a really manly man. And Jacob was not the manly man. Jacob was mama's boy, right? Jacob was kind of like his mom. Um, doesn't seem like he was as manly as Esau, right? So you have this dynamic, but what you have with Jacob is Jacob wants this blessing. He wants this inheritance. He wants his, what rightfully belongs to his brother Esau. And so he decides he's going to play a trick on him. Okay? And he tricks him. He catches him one day when he's really hungry. He goes, look what I got. Right? This would, by the way, work so well on my son Judah. Right? Look, Judah, cookie. <laughs> right? he would, that's like how it is with Esau. He's just like, dude, I'm so hungry. Right? Now, I didn't understand this when I was in high school because I was like, oh, was he really going to die? Then what's the problem with him trading it? Newsflash, he was not going to die. Okay? He wasn't going to die. He just really wanted that stew. That's the problem here, okay? He just really wanted that stew, and he was willing to trade his birthright. Now, for us, we're like, you know, whatever, not that big of a deal, but you have to understand, in God's perspective, Esau gave up something that was immeasurably valuable for something that it was of such insignificant value. That's why Scripture says he shows contempt, right? He shows contempt for what he inherited, that makes sense. Okay. Now the second story is very similar. Okay. The second story is where Jacob goes now to the father, Isaac, and he says he pretends to be Esau. He dresses up like Esau. It says he puts goat hair on his arms. Awesome. Right. <laughs> and he goes to Isaac and he pretends to be and says, now father, give me your blessing. Right. And, and I'm not going to read the whole story because it's a lot of text. But Isaac goes, you sound like Jacob. Right? And he's like, no, 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 no. Right? It's me, Esau. It's like, you sound just like Jacob. Come here. And he smells him. Right? 
But luckily, Jacob had put on Esau's clothes, right? And then he feels his arms, and he put the goat hair. There's like, oh, right? And then he makes him his stew. And what happens is the father is deceived, and he goes, okay, Esau, yes, you're the one that I want to bless. I'm going to read you this blessing that he gives him. This is um, in Genesis 27. If you want to look there, you can, but it will be on the board. I'm going to go down to verse 27, okay, down to verse 27. And it says, so Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced. And he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. And from the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. This is the blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob. What is it? It's the seed blessing, right? It has all those elements, those same elements of fruitfulness, conquering enemies, and all the nations are blessed through you. Does that make sense? It's the seed blessing passed down now to Jacob. And what happens is when Esau hears about this, he freaks out. He says, Dad, what about my blessing? Don't you have anything to give me? Right? And he goes, I, I already gave it away. Isaac's so sad too. I already gave it away. I nothing I can do now. And he gives him like a little other blessing. Right? He says, well, your brother is sorry. He's already going to rule over you now because I already blessed him with that. But one day you're going to break off the, the yoke from your neck. Right? So he gives him a little blessing. But the point is that the blessing has been given away. Okay. Now let's talk about this. Because this is really weird stuff for us. It's hard for us to understand what the heck is going on here. Because as you see, Jacob becomes a central figure in Scripture, and yet throughout his life, the dude is kind of a scumbag. Right? You guys ever heard the phrase, the ends justify the means? You ever heard that phrase? You read Machiavelli? Right? This idea that, well, as long as, you know, your ends are good... You can do whatever nefarious things you need to do to get there. In some ways, that's kind of the story of Jacob, isn't it? In some ways, that's what Jacob lives by. He's like, well, I want a good thing, so I'm going to do some bad things to get there. And I think when I used to read this story, I'd be like, God, why? Why the heck are you blessing this guy? Why are you choosing him? Why are you honoring him? Why are you giving him all these promises? Like, if my brother stole all my stuff, and then you're like, good job, blessed, right? I'd be kind of mad, right? If I was Esau, I'd be like, dude, I'm going to kill this guy. And guess what? That's pretty much exactly what happens, right? Esau says, I'm going to kill this guy. And so Jacob has to flee, and he runs away, right? And I wondered about this for a long time, but I want to tell you, there is a principle here that is so important to understanding God. And if you understand who God is, then you'll understand why the story makes perfect sense in the economy of God. Okay? And it's this. Jacob was a flawed man. His character was seriously flawed. But he had one all-redeeming quality about him. And that's that he had great faith. What you see consistently through the life of Jacob is he wants blessing, right? He wants his brother's inheritance. He wants his father's blessing. And what happens right after this? 
he gets into a situation where he wrestles God. This is one of those really weird stories of Scripture. Guess what? There's a lot of them. But this one's weird because Jacob wrestles a man who we find out is actually God, and he wins. (laughs) Explain that one. How does Jacob beat God in a wrestling match? That's hard to understand, okay? So I'm going to try and give you some helpful hints on how this is explained. Was Jacob stronger than God? No. No, no, no. Jacob was not stronger than God. Then how did he prevail? Because the angel, at the end, he literally says, you have prevailed over God and man. How did he prevail? Well, I'll tell you. Because God is moved by faith. He's moved by it. You can have all sorts of flaws in your life. But if God sees faith in you, he sees something that's so valuable and treasured in his heart. He says, that's what I'm looking for. Let me put it to you another way. What's God looking for today? Is he looking for somebody who's honest all the time? Kind of. He, he likes honesty, for sure. Right. But is being honest all the time the thing that gets you into his family? No, it's not. Is being super strong and manly and accomplished in your life, is that what gets you chosen in the family of God? No. What is the thing that God is consistently looking for all the way from the beginning? When he says to Adam, the very first person, obey these simple commands. The question is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? It's the story over and over and over and again in scripture. And guess what? I have some news for you. Jacob reaped what he sowed. I'm not saying that all of his character flaws had no bad effect in his life. I'm not saying that. They had a terrible effect in his life. If you look at the story of Jacob... He asks, he deceives his brother, and then what happens? He's on the run. He's literally living in terror that his brother is going to sneak up on him one day and kill him. He's living in terror. And what does he do? He goes and he works for Laban. He gets tricked, and he has to work 14 years. And then Laban tricks him again and takes all his goats and stuff like that. Am I making sense? There's a pattern here. And then what happens? Jacob is tricked at the end of his life. His brothers, his children lie to him and tell him, your favorite son is dead, killed by wild animals, right? And what happened? Jacob's heart breaks, and he lives in years of depression. What's my point? You cannot escape the pattern of reaping and sowing, okay? The character flaws in your life, as in Jacob's life, will absolutely reap curses for you, okay? I am not saying don't try and fix your character flaws. Don't try to become a church. No, no, no. No, no, no. What I'm saying is this. I'm saying this, that if you have faith, God can work in your life. If you have faith, God can work in your life. He can work with a jacked up vessel. He can work with somebody who's got issues and problems and weaknesses and sometimes is stupid. He can work with that. What he cannot work with is somebody who will not trust him. Am I making sense? When we trust him, then he takes the responsibility for fixing all the bad stuff in our lives. And that's exactly what you see with Jacob. God fixes him throughout his life. 
By the end of his life, Jacob has become very wise and mature. And you're going to see next week his incredible prophecy. He's going to give one of the most amazing prophecies in Scripture. But the point is this, brothers and sisters. My question to you today. Are you like Esau or are you like Jacob? Are you like Esau or are you like Jacob? You have to understand Esau was an impressive man. He had lots of things going for him. I bet Esau was popular with all the girls. Bet all the boys wanted to be like Esau. But Esau had less of a sense of destiny on his life than Jacob did. Does that make sense? Jacob was living his life where he's like, all I need is the blessing of God. I need this blessing. If I have this blessing, right, then I'm going to be okay. And he bends all of his will and his life story to this end. And I want to challenge us today. Do you understand we live with the same decision that Esau and Jacob had in their own life? It's the same thing. In Galatians 3, this is what Paul's saying. He's speaking about this story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says, God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. What's that? The seed blessing, right? So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. And if you go down to verse 29, he says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Wait a second. Did you just hear that? Did you just hear that? Paul is saying that that same seed promise that was given to Jacob, that if we are in Christ today, that's the same inheritance that now becomes ours. Am I making sense? That's what he's saying, that we are now heirs of this destiny. Now the question is, how valuable is that to you? Because guess what? Esau was the one who should have gotten the blessing. Esau was the one who should have gotten it. It was all set up for him. And yet, he despised it. He showed contempt. Why? Because it was by faith. How many of you guys know the blessing wasn't very valuable in their lifetime? Am I making sense? Why was it that Esau was like, yeah, give me that stew. I'll take it. Why? Because the stew is right here. Right? I'm hungry. Stew. I see it really clearly. But guess what? The seed blessing who knows when that's going to come into effect? One day, yeah, yeah, one day we're going to conquer all our enemies. One day our descendants will be like sand on the seashore, right? One day everybody who blesses us will be blessed and everyone who curses us will be cursed. Big, fat deal. I bet that was something that was running through Esau's mind. So my question to you is, how important is this blessing to you? Because we live in the same place of decision as Esau and Jacob. And what we see with Jacob is that even though Jacob was a flawed man, had all sorts of problems, because he desired this, because he held this promise by God in great esteem, God chose him and made his name resound through the generations. After Jacob wrestles with God, God changes his name to Israel. Israel means contends with God or reigns with God. Does that make sense? What happens? 
Jacob was a man who, because of his faith, inherited a great destiny. Brothers and sisters, it's the same way for us today. It's exactly the same. The only difference is that you have so many bowls of stew that are being offered to you every day. You got a new temptation saying, hey, you can live for this. You can live for popularity or riches. We live in the richest culture in the history of the world. You can live for this thing or that. But will you live for the eternal calling and destiny that is yours by faith in Christ Jesus? Am I making sense? What's this whole series been about? It's been about crazy people living for something that never happened in their lifetime. That's what the whole thing is about. Abraham's like, yeah, I'm going to move into Nowhereville because God's building an eternal city. He sounded like a crazy person in his day, right? Guess what we're talking about? I, talk, I say that same thing all the time, right? I'm living for a new Jerusalem that's going to descend from the sky and that God has prepared for me. He has my name somewhere in that city written down. And that's my eternal home. And until then, I'm working unto those ends. Am I making sense? This is the same story. And here we are, brothers and sisters. We get to be part of this incredible journey. I say this all the time, but you cannot understand the Bible without an eternal perspective. If your perspective of the Bible is, oh, it helps me be a better person today. I want to tell you, that is the humanistic understanding of the Bible. Congratulations, you are a good humanist. Right? Oh, yeah, the Bible teaches you how to be a nice guy. No, it doesn't. No. Sometimes people in the Bible are really mean. Why? Because it teaches you what's going to happen long after you die. That's what the story is about. And the stories that we're reading are about the generations of people who heard these promises from the Lord and lived their lives in such a way that would bear fruit in that eternity that was promised. So my question for you, what is your life about? What's the trajectory of your life? Let me put it to you another way. Some of us are like Jacob and we want God's blessing more than anything else in our lives. And we're constantly feeling condemned because of all of our flaws. And if that's you, I want to say this. Time to break off that condemnation. It's time to break it off. Why? Because God delights in your faith and he gives you mercy for your weaknesses. Am I making sense? Hear me. There's a lot of you who are living your lives for the kingdom. I hear about it all the time. I watch you in your lives. You're talking all the time about how I can know God more, how I can see his will and his kingdom come to my campus, to my city. And if that's you, I want to say, well done. Good job. You're of the inheritor of the line of Abraham. We are those who live by faith and not by sight. And I want to say that some of you are like Esau. And you're like, well, I'm not that bad. I got a lot of cool stuff going on in my life. And yeah, one day maybe I'll get that promise that dad's always talking about. That'll be cool. But the reality is you're trading it away for the smallest little blessings on the earth. right? 
The trajectory of your life is not focused on God and his kingdom and his purposes. The trajectory of your life is focused on you and how you can get what you want and how maybe God can help you get those things. I want to lovingly say, if that's you, let's repent today. Amen? Let's get our lives on the right track because this track is the glory track. Okay? This track is the one that in this age has hardships, but newsflash, every track has hardships. Newsflash. Okay, there ain't no track that's all, you know, glorious and wonderful and happily ever after. That track does not exist. It's a lie from Hollywood. Okay, that don't exist. Every track is hard. The question is, are you on the one that leads to life? And are you on the one that's focused on the purposes of God and what he's going to do in eternity. Brothers and sisters, this is what this series has been all about. Are we going to live our lives like the heroes of faith in Scripture? Or are we going to live our lives like all the people around us? Are we going to judge ourselves by the standards of our culture? Are we going to be all about, you know, it's easy to fall into that trap. I know what it's like. I went through the same struggles. I remember when it seemed like all my friends were thriving and succeeding in the world. And I was like, God, I have nothing. <laughs> I literally just gave my most treasured possession to the poor. That was it. That was the only thing that was worth anything, God. Right? But in God's perspective, I'm rich in eternity. Am I making sense? What's our lives about? When we're talking about prayer movements on campus... We we're talking about trying to see our friends saved in eternity. These can look like meager things, but I tell you, these are the things of true value in this life. That's why God says, use your worldly wealth to gain you eternal friendships. Right? He's saying your money's not valuable. The only reason your money is valuable is because you can use it for the kingdom. Use your money for the kingdom. We have a board with 12 names on it. I want to commend those who are giving unto the poor of this world. Why? Because we're not just feeding their temporary needs, even though that's important and that's wonderful. But all of the, the, the support that we do goes because we want them to know Jesus in eternity. That's what we're pouring into. That's what we're hoping. Charity is always, it's, a, it's designed to open people's heart to something that has eternal value and worth. Am I making sense? I want to challenge you. We set a goal at the beginning of the year that we wanted 100 names up on the wall. I want to challenge you today. Will you consider using your worldly wealth to gain friends in eternity? Oh, that some of these children that we're prayerfully supporting would come to know Jesus. I'm praying for my spiritual child over there. Come on, dude. You're going to be a revivalist in Jesus' name. I'm calling forth his destiny. I'm seeding it with finances, but I'm seeding it mostly in prayer. Am I making sense? Brothers and sisters, I challenge you. You're not poor. Come on now. If you eat Korean barbecue, you ain't poor. Right? If you eat that bougie, if you drink that bougie coffee, you ain't poor. What's the point? I, don't, I know very few poor people here. I'm serious. I was poorer than all of you. Okay? I couldn't afford my 99-cent boba for a season of my life. I desperately wanted that boba. I challenge you in the name of Jesus. Oh, that you would live your life for an eternal calling. Worship team, come up.